You've probably heard it all before, but this time, let Dr. Lanker connect the dots in a way that makes the Christian faith come alive. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Lanker, and I'm here to help you connect the dots. As a pastor and professor for the last 30 years, I want to help you not only understand the Christian faith, but to make it a transformative part of your everyday experience. Join me as we connect the dots. When we come to chapter 11 in the story of the Tower of Babel, we're coming to the end of the primeval story of the foundation of this world. And what we find in chapter 11 is the story of confusion. And this story has brought a lot of confusion to people throughout history, trying to understand what exactly is being told here besides the confusion of the languages and the reasoning behind why those languages are confused. What we find in chapter 11 is that the whole world was living together. That's a colloquialism, that the whole world isn't all in one place. But the center of life is seen to be in this city of Babel. And they settle there in the plain of Shinar. And they say to each other, come, let us make bricks, make us this tower that will reach into the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Everything in the narrative fits with the archaeological study of ancient civilizations in the ancient Near East. What those cities began to do in the early period of human civilization is begin to make cities that were the center of religious worship. The people lived out in the fields, but these cities would have a ziggurat or a tower at the center of the city. And at the bottom of that ziggurat would be a temple. What these places were seen to be was linkages or or portals into the heavens. The gods were seen to travel throughout the space that had no material existence, the, the sky, the heavens where you would find the sun and the moon. And these gods, as they passed between places, would have needs that were needing to be met. They would need to sleep. They would need to eat. They would need some sort of sexual engagement. They would need some music, whatever. And so what would happen is that these people would set up these little kind of restroom up on the top of these ziggurats. And the gods in their travels back and forth would see these really well-maintained rooms that would be filled with grapes, that would be filled with music, that would be filled with sacrifices and incense. And the hope of the people was that the gods would see these. They'd stop for a moment in the room of rest at the top of the ziggurat. And in that moment of resting there, they would see the people down below. They would see them being worshiped. And so they would descend these stairs to the temple and they would enter into the idol that was a representation of themselves. And once they entered into that idol, they would then bless the people because, hey, they had been blessed. They'd had food, they'd had drink, they'd had rest. And so the attempt of these ancient peoples was to bring the gods down, in essence, to enter into their worlds, and by entering into their world, through the goodness that the people had provided for the gods, they were now beholden to the people. And there was a sense of what is called by scholars a divine symbiosis, this I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Now, when that is described here in Genesis 11, what is being said is that 
these people are attempting to control the gods. They're attempting to use them as genies that if they rub their lamp appropriately, now they have three wishes and they can receive all that they want. What the Lord says is he says, hey, let us go down and see. So this is one of the first insights into who God is. He still descends, even into our self-centered schemes, but he doesn't descend in order to be used by us. He descends in order to redirect us, and this is exactly what he does. Once he enters in, he confounds their language, and in confounding their languages, he scatters them. This has been one of the common interpretations throughout history of what was wrong with Babel. They were coming to one place and not scattering. God had asked them to go, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, but they're setting in one place and unwilling to move beyond that. Now, cities don't seem to be the problem here. In fact, God's going to set his name on a city in Jerusalem. But his real concern is that they're unwilling to see his presence being available in other places. They want to find the gods in one place and bring the gods to them rather than going any place and being in God's presence. This is going to be a theme that is built upon and revisited many times throughout the biblical narrative. The other thing is that they say, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's set our name up as something important, which is the antithesis of the whole story. When God made man and woman, he made them in his image to display his likeness, in essence, to make his name great. So now in the rebellion of mankind, it has transgressed so far that it's not about being priest to the great God and serving him in his glory. The great God is now in existence in order to bless us and to make our name great and to make our plans great. And this is what leads to the heart of the complete rebellion we see in Babel. And this is at the heart of all people from that time till this. This is the heart of paganism. It's it's not in how bad the rituals are in paganism. Paganism at its heart is about the degradation of the God. It's about bringing the God down to our level, making them like us. And that is when we have fully lost who God is. He is not a man like us. He is not a woman like us. He is beyond us. We are nowhere close to him. And any attempt to bring God down so that he blesses us is the rebellion of Babel. Now, this is not something that happened just thousands of years ago. This happens every day, all the time, throughout our Christian lives and our Christian worships. We beg God to enter into our family life so that he could make our family life better. In worship services, pray for the Spirit to come and enter that place and to bless us with his presence through our worship to him. So we need to be very careful because in those wordings, in those interactions, we're just replaying the same sort of rebellion that was seen within the Tower of Babel. 
that God is somehow a tool for us to use, that we invite into some place and that we make pleased with our worship. We regularly, in fact, talk about how God has done everything he has done because he needs us, because he loves us and he couldn't imagine living life without us. God doesn't need us. He could recreate us in one instant, and we don't need to be here. It is a prideful mindset that says that we as humans are in any way needed by God. He is self-existent and beyond all his creation. And this is what the Tower of Babel shows us, that God will not be manipulated by his creation. He chooses to meet us in our place, but his meeting us is to direct us to our larger purpose. It's always to bring us to be more like him. God does not come down to us figuratively and literally, as we talk about even the life of Christ. He does not come down to us just to be with us, to be our friends, and to be among us. He comes to us so that he may lead us up toward him, figuratively, up the stairway, up into the heavens, up into his presence, and and to reach higher planes of existence to which he made and created us for. And only when we live in that acknowledgement that he is not only more powerful, but completely other in character, in knowledge, in relationship, will we ever be able to fully enter into true relationship with God? Because the people in Babel are unwilling to engage God that way, God gives them over. He puts them into different nations and into different groupings. According to Deuteronomy chapter 32, to the sons of God, to those heavenly beings that serve him in the heavenly realms. And he gives control of those nations to those little g gods. And he is then going to, out of all the nations, choose the nation of Israel, which we're going to see in the second part of chapter 11, is found through a man named Abram, who finds himself in the middle of the land of Babel, trying to find how he and his people interact correctly with the gods. And God is going to show him that it is much different than what the rest of the world conceives. And he is going to lead him on a very long journey and his people on a very long journey to not just come back into sacred relationship with the eternal God, but more importantly, to know the character and the heart of this eternal God, so that their relationship is not a relationship of I scratch your back, you scratch mine, or that God is somehow some subservient genie to be used by the plans and the ideas of his creation. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast. And if you'd like more information, please visit us at drjasonlanker.com. That's D-R-Jason-L-A-N-K-E-R. May you go in the grace of God, and may you not just understand the Christian faith, but live it more fully this week.